We praise King Jesus. We are awestruck that a love would sacrifice a sinful, a sinless life for such a sinful life such as ours. Truly, our God is amazing. In all that we do this morning, may our actions, Lord, and our worship declare the glory and honor bestowed upon you by God the Father to the praise of his glorious grace in the Holy Spirit. We pray in the confidence of the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 6. Our text for this morning is verses 9 through 11. We'll read the passage in its entirety, then we'll pray for the Holy Spirit to help us in understanding um, and in activating obedience in us. Then we'll dig in the passage and mine its parts making observations and applications. One of the things I'm going to preset before we pray this morning about this is I have front-loaded the application in the beginning. <laughs> and so then we'll, we'll dig into it deeper, but I'm, I'm going to front-load it this morning. So it'll be quite a bit before we get to the dissecting of the passages. So let us uh, pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you illuminate the passage to our minds. Holy Spirit, inflame our hearts that we might feel the height and the depth and the weight of Christ's love. Holy Spirit, engage our will. Move us in obedience that is consistent with our confession of faith. This morning we pray for the saints who are gathered at Baker Creek. We pray that they will continually bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that in an ever-increasing measure that they would grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it is in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us read uh, Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the, of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. This is God's word for us this morning. Thanks be God. You may be seated. The cry of the Christian heart is this. How long, Lord? How much longer will we have to live in the presence of sin? How long, Lord, will we deal with the forces and the consequences of the deeds of evil men? How long, Lord, until your justice is completed? How long, Lord, until you have subjected all things under the authority of Jesus Christ? See, we have a sense that things are not as they should be, don't we? We, we who know that the law of God is perfect, we who know that the precepts of God are beautiful, we who know that the commands of God are not burdensome, we cry out, how long, O Lord? Things are not as they should be. We stand on your word that you created the people male and female. We stand upon your word, and the world and its kings declare that gender is fluid, and it is determined by the mind of the beholder. We stand on your word that Christ is the King of kings, and that he is the Lord of lords, while the kings of the earth declare this, that the self is king. 
We testify that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died to save us who have transgressed His law and have transformed us from death to life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the nations rage against the Lord and against His anointed. And we come to the conclusion things are not as they should be. And our cry out, the cry of every longing heart of every Christian is, How long, O Lord? How long? Ecclesiastes 4, 1 and 2 tells us this, Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than those who are living and who are still living. See, the preacher in Ecclesiastes declares things are not as they should be. And he determined the reality to, to, to have subjected all of humanity, all of the earth, all people into this existence of what is vain. It's vanity. And as Paul describes in his letter to the Romans, he says it in a different way, but that the world is subjected to futility. In Romans 8, 20 through 23, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. In ourselves we groan. How long, Lord, will we suffer the futility and the vanity of life under the curse of sin? How long, Lord, will we be subjected to the enemy's reminder of our failures? How long will we live in a world that rejects the authoritative word of God and the truth of our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord? Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, the futility and the vanity of our world. Although it was subjected in futility, it was subjected in hope. Remember, the treasure that we have is greater than the futility. And the promise of God in Christ is surer than the efforts and the aim of the kings of the earth. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 11, it says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way and not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, in the power of God, no suffering in this life is the final answer, not even death. For in Christ Jesus, the sting of death has been removed. Even death becomes a celebration for you who believe in Christ Jesus. Death becomes for those that believe a graduation to eternal life. Still, suffering is real. Still, suffering is painful. Still, the, the losses of life impact our hearts. And therefore, the longing of our hearts, the longing of our hearts is this, Lord, how long? Because we know and trust that God is just, right? Right? 
We have confidence that what his word teaches us about his justice is true. We have confidence in his precepts. We have confidence in his authority to rule and to reign. We have his confidence. We have confidence that he will one day finally and fully crush the enemy of our souls. And yet, because we are mounting losses in this life, we say, How long, O Lord, until this becomes the reality? Till sin is eradicated, till every enemy is underneath your foot. How long? So we're going to pick up this morning in our scene in heaven in verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. So we pick up our scene here in heaven with a view of the Christian saints who have suffered the effects of what we just saw last week was the four horsemen, the evil that was prescribed by the decree of Christ who unfolded it. And that these who have been inflicted with these these four horsemen's evil on the earth, that they suffered because they held on to their testimony of God's word. They held on to the testimony of Christ as the king. They held that. Even through all of those trials and all of those troubles, they held on to it. And the result was that we see them here in this scene in heaven underneath the altar that they had been slain because of the word of God and because of their testimony. See, so we see these this evil that's inflicted upon them by the decree of God, by the sovereign Christ, who by the virtue of his ironic exaltation, see, he is ironically exalted through his own suffering at the hands of evil men. Evil came to him as it comes to us. The evil that came to him through his death, he was exalted, saving us, right? And here, these are identified with him. Through his own suffering, through, through the suffering of evil men, he was declared worthy to open the book of God's decree and to break the seals. The breaking of the fifth seal, we should notice, is not a revealing of judgment against the ungodly, nor is it a, re- a revealing of a furthering of the sanctification of the saints. It seems to be a pause, there's, there's no further sanctification of the saints through trial and tribulation, but this seal reveals to us the cry of the saints, those who have been faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ, even unto death. These saints have maintained the testimony of Jesus Christ. They have not compromised their commitment to the word of God through suffering the evil of tyrannical world leaders, either war, nor famine, nor pestilence, nor widespread diseases that led to massive death. In none of those things did they compromise their commitment to the word of God and their commitment to their Christ who had saved them. In all of these things, they were overcomers because we see them in heaven. They are overcomers. These are the overcomers. I want to make note first of the location of the souls in verse 9. I saw beneath the altar, beneath the altar, the souls. So the first thing to notice here is their location. They're underneath the altar. What happens on the altar? Sacrifice. Right? Sacrifice, bloodshed, death. It happens upon the cry, uh, upon the altar. A sacrifice to God, a sacrifice to Christ happens. But where are these souls? They are underneath the altar. They are underneath the, the protection of God. 
The souls that have been persecuted, those that have been martyred, martyred for their steadfast faith are underneath the altar. They are underneath the protection of God. Though blood may be shed and the earth, earthly life may result in death because of the Christian's unwavering commitment to God's word and the testimony of the exclusivity of Christ as the king and the savior, they are and always will be underneath the protection of he who sits on the throne, of he who died for them. In chapter 20, in verse 4, it says, Then I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life, and they reigned with Christ. Verse 6 of chapter 20 says, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. This is the idea of them being underneath the altar. You might remember in Revelation 1 verse 9 that these are partakers in tribulation. They are partakers in kingdom. They are partakers in the perseverance that is in Christ Jesus. That is that they have maintained their testimony. They have preserved their faith. They have persevered under trial. And they have been eternally preserved in Christ under the protection of he who sits on the throne. I think location is big here when you see that these are the souls who are underneath the altar. They are protected. They've been saved. They've been set apart. They've been, they've been appointed to this. The souls of those who are underneath the throne are most definitely identified with Christ. Listen to this. They are most definitely identified with him. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. Those, those who had been killed, those who had been slain, his best phrase, having been slain. Who does that sound like? The lamb having been slain. These having been slain. They are identified with him in their suffering. They are united with the Lamb. They are standing as slain with the one who was worthy to open the book and break its seals. The souls are identified as having bore the marks of Jesus Christ in their lives without compromise. That's what I want to be said of each and every person who is gathered here this morning, that when we get to heaven, we say, I bear the marks of Jesus Christ. He who was slain for me, I bear his marks. I bore his marks in my life with uncompromising, unwavering, steadfast devotion to him and to his word. Every one of us, you see, who, is, who declares that we are kingdom saints, we have been appointed to death for the sake of our testimony of Jesus Christ. Appointed to death for the sake of our testimony. And everyone who is a kingdom saint must willingly embrace the marks of Jesus Christ in their life that they might gain life eternal. See, death doesn't always look like death, death as we think of it, right? It might all, it might not all look like we uh, die to the point of shedding our own blood as Christ shed his blood, but we die a million deaths every day for the sake of Christ. We are those who are supposed to die every day Death to favor from the world. If we die to favor from the world, we find favor with God. Death in familial relationships for the sake of the testimony of Christ that we would be included in the family of God. Death to comfort in this life that we would have glory in the next. 
If you are unwilling to suffer the marks of Christ in the temporary life, I declare this, that you will have no share in the pleasure of life eternal. I want to repeat that, so I want it to, I want us to grab a hold of that as, as, as our mission, as our life, as we step forward into the world, knowing this and trusting this. If we are unwilling to suffer the marks of Christ in the temporary life, we will have no share in the pleasure of life eternal. Jesus was clear on this issue in Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. And the one who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it, and the one who has lost his life on my account will find it. Is that not clear? That if we are unwilling to bear the marks of Christ, we will not enjoy the fruits of life eternal? Jesus, as Christ's suffering declared, it declared his ironic victory. So too are these souls declared victorious in death. These are those who have heeded the word of God and did not compromise. As a result of their faithfulness and overcoming compromise, they receive victory through suffering. Suffering is not meaningless. Death is not meaningless to the Christian. Death is swallowed up in victory, 1 Corinthians says. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we live a life that is overcoming? How do we live as one who overcomes, who fails not to compromise? Well, think about what Revelation 12, 11 says. How do, how do we overcome evil and the evil one in this life? Is this, they overcome him, that is the evil one, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and all you who dwell in them. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by maintaining our testimony concerning the perfect law of God and our faithful, uncompromising witness to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we say, death, where is your sting? Revelation 2, remember, he uh, tells the church this, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison and that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. See? Death has no sting. Suffering is not pointless. And still we have this treasure, don't we? We have this treasure of Christ. We have the treasure of eternity, the treasure of our position in Him. We have it in an earthly body. We're always being given over to death for Christ's sake. And the longing of our hearts is to know when will, will our faithful God bring His justice to bear? We're not, we're not saying He won't. It's just that in this earthen vessel, this earthly body that we carry about in us, suffering has real consequences, and it's really, really hard. It's really difficult. We don't discount that at all, even knowing our future, right? But the longing of our hearts is, when will it end? When will you stop it? When will justice be brought forth? Even if it hurts me, 
Will you bring your justice, God, because we trust in Him more than we trust in the circumstances of our lives? When will those who harm us for nothing more than our testimony to Christ be vindicated? The question is no longer why or what, but how and when. The human response in suffering is to ask why, isn't it? It's all often to ask why. I remember when my brother uh, died of suicide, I wrestled hard with God in that moment. I wrestled really hard. And I kept asking this question over and over again. Why did this happen? And I proclaimed to my God, I declared that there is no good possible that could ever come from this. I could see no way that this was good. And through my study of the Word of God and through much prayer, God convinced me that I was asking the wrong question. I was asking the wrong question. He pierced my heart with this question from him. Do you trust that I am good? Do you trust that all things are working together for good according to my sovereign hand? Do you believe the scripture concerning the things that I have decreed? And then this question was posed to my heart. In this tragedy, Jeff, do you feel as though I have withdrawn my love for you in Christ? So I had to answer that honestly. No. You have not withdrawn your love for me. And my heart was moved to Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation and trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And still we cry, how long, Lord? And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given, each of them, a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Even in death, the witness to the testimony of Jesus Christ under the protection of he who sits on the throne, we are secure from the second death. God has preserved them, these and us, in Jesus Christ for eternity and from eternity. Suffering serves the good purpose of God. The crying of the suffering souls in heaven are those who have embraced the decrees of God. Those who have been purified by suffering. See, the white robes indicate this, that the decrees of God for evil are sovereignly used for good to those who are the called. Those who, according to His good purpose in Christ Jesus, have been called. They trust that God is just. They Therefore, they declare, God, execute your justice quickly. Vindicate us as seems best to you, Lord. The Lord assures them that there's a day coming soon when the persecuted will be vindicated. But the day will not come. Here's good news. The day will not come until every last soul is gathered unto himself. Till every last soul, the day will not come. Till all who were chosen in Christ Jesus from the foundation of the world have been purified just as you have. 
not a day sooner. Till the last one is called home. Till the last one who has been purified through the trials and troubles and the evil of this day. I've set them apart for purification. There, and when the last one is purified, the last one that I called from eternity past, when the last one is purified, just as you have been purified, then the end will come. Then you will be vindicated. Then justice will be had. And they, they trust God. They trust that He is just and they declare, God, execute your justice quickly. In, uh, vindicate us as seems best to you. Remember the promise to the church at Sardis in chapter 3, verse 5. It says, The one who overcomes will be clothed in the same way, in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. See, the Christian is called to bear the marks of Christ in the temporal life. All are called to take up the suffering of Christ upon themselves. Suffering and death for the Christian have purpose. Under the protection of God, death in this life has lost its sting. Through steadfastness to the Word of God and an unwillingness to deny the testimony of Jesus Christ, God, in His decree to punish the ungodly, sovereignly uses evil forces in the world to purify for Himself a people. And this is our hope in suffering. Our hope is this, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we cry out, the longing of our heart is, bring your justice now. Bring your justice to bear now. Because death has no sting for us. Death has guaranteed us eternity and eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so we sing, even so, even if that be so, even if it's required my life, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. No matter the cost, because we have uh, paid the cost and understand uh, our worth in Christ Jesus. We understand that God is good. So these, these who are here on this throne, uh, underneath the altar, one of the, one last thing I want to kind of point out in this text is what they declare. Before they declare their plea for relief, they say, Lord, holy and true. Lord, holy and true. These are those who trust that the Lord is holy and he is always true to his promises. They have trusted in the promises of God. They've trusted in the promises of God to the point of death. They trust this, this hymn to be holy, he who is holy and true, because look at their location. They are under the protection of him who sent this evil their way for their purification. They trust that he is holy, that he is true, that his purposes are right. And then they know this, that God will avenge them, that God will one day make all things right, will eradicate sin, will relieve them and relieve us from the presence of sin forever. I long for that day. That's, that's the cry of my longing heart. Is Lord, 
how long until the residual sin that is in my own heart is gone forever? I don't have to deal with me anymore. How long? Even so, do it today. How long? And I know that the only path to that is death for me. The only path to, to completely having sin eradicated in my life, the residual sin that comes up again and again, the only way for that to be completely annihilated is death. Then I won't have the presence of sin in me. And I won't live in the world that is filled with sin. How long, Lord? Don't you guys want relief? I do. I know I want relief from this guy, and I want relief from all that's going on around me. And I cry out, Lord, how long? How long till you avenge? And he gives us this promise in this passage. He gives us this great promise. All who I have appointed to eternal life must come first. I must gather all who have been appointed to life. So if you want the Lord Jesus to come quickly, if you want him to vindicate you on the earth, get out there and start preaching the gospel. Start preaching repentance and faith. Because as each one is gathered, we're one more closer. We're one more closer to the fullness of God having purified a people for himself. And then he will in, enact his justice completely for us. So let's take a moment to pause and reflect upon the word of God. Let us ask him in, in silence in our hearts. Is there a promise from this passage I should lay hold of? Is there a sin, spirit, that you have convinced me I need to forsake? Is there something from your word that I must uh, turn to in obedience.